If the United States is to make some sort of containment of China a foreign policy priority, the Navy's got a big part of the job. But is the Navy fully capable? The recent burning of an important ship while in port is the latest event to call into question the basic condition of the Navy. James Russell is associate professor in the Department of National Security Affairs at the Naval Postgraduate School. He talked about the implications with Federal News Network's Tom Temin. This Bonham Richard fire was really a disturbing thing to watch in and of itself, but it did come at the end of a string of issues with the Navy. Review them for us and what your takeaway is from what's been happening over the last several years. Yes. Well, thanks. And I'd like to state at the outset for your listeners that I work at the Naval Postgraduate School as a professor, but I'm here providing to you my personal opinions, not representing the views of NPS or the Department of the Navy. Got it. But the point of the Bonhomme Richard fire, it's like all of us, I suppose, we look for sort of implications of these events. And the fact of the matter is, is that for the Navy, if one goes back, geez, six months, two years, four years, five years, you see a string of incidents that are really quite troubling. So the Bonhomme Rashad fire, for example, comes on the heels of a very sort of troubling five or six month stretch just in the early part of 2020, and which featured the firing, for example, of Captain Crozier, which featured the firing of the Navy secretary, which featured the removal of his successor who was acting in the Navy secretary capacity at the time, and which also, of course, in the context of questions being raised in Congress, very serious questions being raised in Congress, over the ability of the Navy to deliver on its plans to increase the size of the fleet to this targeted number of 355 ships within sort of budgetary constraints. And in this sort of communication back and forth between Congress and the Pentagon, the Senate in particular has made clear that it has no confidence in the Navy's ability to be able to deliver the plans that it has laid out in its 30-year shipbuilding plan. And this shipbuilding plan, of course, has been held up by the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, and his nominee to take over the civilian side of the Pentagon sort of a program analysis function was on the Hill a couple of weeks ago and called the Navy's own plan, quote unquote, not a credible document, right? In which, as he said, this plan does not sort of accord with sort of fiscal realities that the country is facing, fiscal realities, I might add, that are only getting worse as we are struggling to, you know, sort of get on the other side of the pandemic. And we're looking at having to sort of basically, we're in the business now of printing money right. to stop people from going hungry, which, which is only going to increase the pressure on the services budget. And of course, the Navy's response to the, the criticisms of this basic phenomenon of its ability to deliver ships that deliver as advertised are on schedule and on budget, the Navy's response has basically been, give us more money. <laughs> right. And, and they've had some and, expensive deals here with the littoral combat ship, the carrier yeah. program. But if you look at even the longer picture, I mean, the welds are very, barely cooled off from repairs yeah. of ships that crashed a few years ago yes. in, the, in the Western Pacific. Yeah. And so... That was a failure of training and of the seamanship, yes. basic, of the people standing there on the bridge operating the ship. Yes. And so it sounds like they have issues from the very top leadership on down to the people that are operating at night in a yeah. control room. 
to the Navy's credit, I would say that um, after the incidents in the Pacific Fleet, uh, they commissioned a group of experts to go and look at what had happened. And some of there were uh, uh, Naval Coast Graduate School uh, people served on the uh, the review of, of what, had, what had gone on. And I would urge all of your listeners who are interested in and concerned about the Navy to read the readiness report, which details a litany of problems in the fleet. But a very troubling characteristic of those problems was that not necessarily, although they are troubling, that the fact that the problems existed, it's that the lower levels of the fleet had reported these problems of persistent right, lack of competencies up the chain of command to the Navy leadership, right? And the Navy leadership did not respond, right, to the repeated sort of warnings that were coming up to it from the bottom of the sort of pyramid, which again, this is a very, now the Navy, since this has come out in 2017, I think they're taking aggressive steps to try and fix this, uh, which means basically that they are going to have to say no to some of the missions that the mission requests that are being handed down to them by the combatant commands. So this, again, this is a, a difficult issue. Uh, and I think the Navy is moving out on it. But again, we have this, this pattern of problems of the leadership, which ignores the warnings from below, refuses to take action until there is these incidents. And you have to understand that when there's something like a crash, it's like an airplane crash or anything, you know, there's always this sort of pyramid below the incident uh, that has piled up iteratively over time to have produced this problem, this crash in the case of, of the Fitz and the, the McCain, for example. Right. We're speaking with Dr. James Russell. He's associate professor in the Department of National Security Affairs at the Naval Postgraduate School. And so that I guess you call those systemic problems yes, and I do. systemic yes, problems so. never have yes. simple fixes. But it seems right. like some of the problems of the Navy are also rooted in the political leadership and in the way that the foreign policy has been non-conducted, you might say, over the last several years, over the past maybe 10, 12 years even. Yeah. So this gets to a broader issue, I think, of so we have which is tied to circumstance. Um, uh, so the circumstance of the United States over the last 20 years is that we have been engaged in land wars, right? All across South Asia, uh, the army has been deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. And frankly, the Navy has been in a kind of supporting role. They have, of course, actively supported the deployments of, of the land forces. But now the country seems to be in a place where, and the political leadership of the country is in a place where we are I, and I think this is the right thing, bringing the, the forces home, which highlights, of course, the Defense Department's new strategic priority of, of trying to counter the rise of Russia and China. So this puts the Navy at the front center in, in uh, the national security strategy, a place that it, had, it has not had over the last 20 years, right? So the confrontation with China, we have to be honest about this, in the South China Sea and across the Indo-Pacific is a maritime challenge. There isn't any other way of describing it. So the Navy is being asked to shoulder an increasing sort of burden for taking on missions associated with this sort of strategic priority. So this is all happening, of course, in the context of a naval buildup by China, in which, of course, they are moving out aggressively across and developing a range of new weapon systems, which defense analysts would characterize as precision strike complexes. 
uh, in which the idea is that you hold sort of targets or ships at risk with a range of munitions, not just based at sea, but also based on land. And, and we see examples of this, for example, in Iran and North Korea, again, countries that have developed significant sort of different kinds of weapon systems that frankly call into question the ability of navies, including the American Navy, to operate in these quote unquote contested areas. So here we have the, the strategic context again, the land war is drawing to a close. We have the return of the Navy to prominence and we have sort of arguments, very good and useful arguments, I might add, that are being voiced about a changing kind of strategic paradigm or how the Navy and navies in general are supposed to be structured, the systems they're going to need, their method of fighting, which then also gets to this broader question of, you know, what are navies for in the 21st century? What's the purpose of navies? So all of these questions and these sort of debates about this, these are good things, uh, you know, for example. And so all of this is hitting the United States Navy, uh, you know, sort of at the same time, right? Which come, again comes on the heels of this sort of 20 year period where they have not had a particularly stellar record of being able to produce innovative new ship designs that meet basic reliability and war fighting standards. They have a, they've established a track record, in fact, over the last 20 years, showing an inability to right. bring innovative new designs and to be able to generalize those innovative new designs and to make them accessible to the fleet writ large. So all of these things are kind of, you know, colliding together with, regrettably, the COVID pandemic and the, and the budgetary pressure on the defense budget. And hence, you have the Defense Department's, you know, experts up on the Hill sort of saying these plans don't reflect strategic and budget reality. You would, the Navy would be needing, you know, a significantly more money for shipbuilding over the rest of the decade and beyond if it's going to realize its plans to grow the fleet. All right. So basically, they need to be ready to be ready. Yes, that's correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. But but it's 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 broader than just that. It, it's it's that there are this. I think there is really a, a national debate which is needed, and I think we're starting to sort of see that, which is that the issue is bigger than just giving the Navy more money. It's having a real sort of discussion about what are the purposes of navies in the 21st century. And I think those of us in the academic business would sort of say that, you know, back in the late sort of 19th, early 20th centuries, there was no question that having strong navies was seen as sort of instrumental to national power, right, and influence. And I think that's a question for the 21st century. It's, It's not clear that's really the case, or it's clear that the context has changed, but we need to sort of have a discussion about this. So there are all these issues are in, are in play. James Russell is associate professor in the Department of National Security Affairs at the Naval Postgraduate School. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. And you can hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.